We're going to be in 1 Kings 18, 20 through 40 this morning. 1 Kings 18, 20 through 40, continuing where we left off last week. As Matthew Henry, the old commentator, says, we have Ahab, as bad a king as the world was ever plagued with, and we have Elijah, as good a prophet as the church was ever blessed with. And these two men pitted against each other in a great trial or contest today. And if you weren't with us last week, this is following three and a half years of intentional drought sent by the Lord as a judgment upon the people because of their godlessness. But they would not turn to the Lord. They would not seek the Lord. So at this appointed time, God calls Elijah and sends him to Ahab and sends him to his court. And then from the end of last week, Elijah was the one who said, we're going to Mount Carmel and we're going to decide this thing up there. And that's where we ended last week. So if you would please stand this morning to honor the Lord as we read from 1 Kings 18, 20 through 40. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left of a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and place no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. And there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And Elijah said to all the people, come near me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the word, the wood, in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and he said fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering on the wood and he said do it a second time and they did it a second time and he said do it a third time and they did it a third time and the water ran round the altar and filled the trench also with water and at the time of the offering of the oblation Elijah the prophet came near and said O Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, 
Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. This is just one of the great passages of the Bible. And I am uh, excited to speak to you about it this morning. Elijah calls this gathering. He's the one who called for this. This is not a coincidental event. He gathers the people. He calls for all the people to gather together. He calls for all these prophets of Baal and then himself as opposition to them. In verse 20, Ahab cooperates. He, he puts the word out and gathers everybody together and he himself comes and stands there with them. And I often wonder at this, what did Ahab think was going to happen? Uh, what, what did he think was going to happen on this mountain when everybody got together and he's got all this crew of people that he's put together and then this one guy that he cannot control no matter what he does? It's my guess that he didn't think anything like this was getting ready to happen. That he probably thought this was going to be some tame gathering where Elijah was going to pray and ask God for rain. And Ahab, for his own self-interest, is really wanting it to rain. So maybe Elijah will pray for rain, and it will rain, and then we can all just go back to business as usual. We can go back to worshiping our Baals, and, and people can go back to doing whatever they're doing. And maybe Jezebel will get up the gall to kill this guy. Because it seems that Ahab is afraid or fears Elijah. He won't touch him, but his wife hates him. But he does not expect what is getting ready to happen is happening. Because what we learn from this is Almighty God will not accept a divided heart. Almighty God will not accept a divided heart. He will not be worshipped alongside of an idol or alongside of some other passion in the hearts of people. You will have no other gods before me is the command, the first command of the Lord that has stood from ages past till now. The Lord will not take the second place. It is an exclusive mandate. God plus many other things is never what the Lord allows because he will have our hearts to love him above all things. He is a jealous God. And that jealousy means that he will have his glory because he is worthy to be glorified. And he will not share his glory with idols or false gods or false philosophies. He will be lifted up because he is worthy to be lifted up. And he will drive out competitors to his glory. And so what we have here is that Elijah understands this completely. And his discourse to the people begins in verse 21 with exactly this issue. He says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go limping between these two different options? We have very clear two options on the stage here at this, at this time. And Elijah calls them out on the fact that they are going back and forth between two things. That they have a heart problem. They have a godly heritage, 
They're the people of Israel. They have had much clear teaching from the Lord, and they have a long list of the past acts of the Lord in this nation. But they also have a new morality that was brought in, a new system of belief and a new system of worship that has come over the people. And there's heavy pressure by the government that they do this and that they follow along with this because it has been mandated and built up by the government. But they, what are the people doing? Well, it seems that they worship God sometimes when it pleases the prophets or maybe when it pleases a a family member that has a past connection with the worship of God. But they worship Baal when it pleases the king or pleases someone else or works in their self-interest. And then the rest of the time, they just do whatever they want to do. And this is the state of the country. And when, I, you, know, when you lay it out like that, you're like, man, this, this sounds so much like what we're living in right now. This is almost exactly the situation that we are in. This is not an uncommon situation. That's why it's recorded for us here in Scripture. This passage has been radically helpful to people down through the ages. We are a people that has a godly heritage. We are a people that has had much past clear teaching on the Bible. We have ready access to the Bible everywhere around us now. We have past actions of the Lord both in our country and in our own lives. And yet a new system of belief has risen up that is radically changing our time. A new morality, a heavy pressure from the government to accept these things and walk in these new ways. And so what is happening? People are double-minded. They are limping between two different opinions. When it pleases the pastor or when it pleases some family member, they go to church and they do the church thing. But when it pleases the government or their boss at work or some great social pressure, they go the way of the new morality. And they do and say and go along with what is being said there. And the rest of the time, they just live however they want to, doing whatever they want to. This is the age that we live in. It is so similar to what Elijah was dealing with with Ahab this word limping the Hebrew word speaks to wavering or hesitating or an indecisiveness the translating it as limping also adds to the sense of weakness when you are an indecisive person that cannot make your mind up and you're going back and forth and you're all over the place it always leads to weakness Every organization, whether it's your family unit, or the business, or the church, there has to be decisive leadership in a right, God-honoring way. And when we go on limping between two things, there is weakness. And there was great weakness in the nation of Israel at this time. The New Testament is also very clear about this. There are many passages that we could look at, but I want to read this morning from James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. In James 1, 6 through 8, the scriptures say this, For one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A double-minded person. The double-minded person cannot make their mind up. One day they're for this, the other day they're for that, the next day for this, the next day for that. They're all over the place. And the illustration that's used by James here is like a wave of the sea. If you've ever spent much time out on the sea and something's just bobbing about and it depends on where the wind's going to blow or where the next wave is going to come as to where that thing is going to be pushed. And so many people are just like that, unstable, confused, tossed, double-minded. I heard this, but I also heard that. But I read this, but then I also read that. And I don't know what to believe because there's so much what? There's so much information. 
I don't believe there's really anything unusual about our day and age, but if there is something unusual about our day, it's just the massive overload of information that we have in our day. There is so much information in our day coming at us from every conceivable angle that people are radically confused about what they believe. They're triple-minded or quadruple-minded. They're all over the place as far as what they believe. They cannot seem to figure out what is true or what is not true. But in the midst of this, we are called to make a choice about God because what I want you to see from this ancient passage is that this is not a new problem. The double-mindedness of people, the inability to make a decisive step of faith to follow after the Lord and to believe and to obey and to act on the things of God is not a new problem. It has been around since Elijah was standing on Mount Carmel. But he was calling for them to make a decision about the Lord. And I unashamedly am calling for you this morning to make a decision about the Lord God. How long will you go on in a double-minded way? Do not be conformed to this world. Do not love this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord in an unequivocal, unashamed, single-minded, direct way. As we go to the end of verse 21b, I tell you the same thing that Elijah said. If the Lord is really God, believe him. If he's not and something else is real, believe that. But I have great confidence that the Lord God is true and is real just like Elijah did. And so put him to the test. When you put the Lord God to the test in a respectful way, you will find that he is true. If you need to research and dig and look and search, you can search and search and search and you will find that the Lord is true because investigation always reveals what is real and God is real. And so Elijah is putting these people to the test and putting them on the spot. But when he does this and questions them, it says that they did not answer him a word. There was silence. There was no counter accusation. They knew that what he was saying was true. What he was saying was accurate. And they just sat silent before him. This is the agnosticism of indecision. This is people that cannot seem to make up their mind and they sit withdrawn. Agnosticism, people like to think that they're sitting in a neutral place. But they're not sitting in a neutral place. There is no such thing as an agnostic. Because the scriptures, through Christ himself, is very clear. To not make a decision about Jesus is to have made a decision about Jesus. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Whoever believes in him, or Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of his only son. And so a divided heart before the Lord is in fact unbelief because none of our hearts are in a neutral place. We begin as sinners. We are born into sin. We know that we have a corrupt and divided heart. And if we stay sitting in that place of corruption and indecision, we will die in our sins. Belief must enter in in order to change our hearts. The infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, supreme, glorious creator God requires the full passion of our hearts. The great command of the Lord is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, 
and with all your strength. This is a full-hearted, passionate devotion to go after the ways of the Lord. And this is what Elijah is aiming at. He wants these people to get off the fence. And so he sets out a trial to prove who's real. Who's real here? This idol or the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And so in verse 22, he begins to lay it out. And we have the sense here that people did not understand what was going to happen until he laid it out at this moment. I, even I, am the only one left of the prophets of the Lord, but you have 450 men. So he sets up the stage of the weakness of himself versus this great crowd of people. But what did I say last week? It is the normal pattern of the Bible to set up one person by themselves with the Lord because one person standing with the Lord is greater than thousands upon thousands who stand without him. And so Elijah stands alone with the Lord on Mount Carmel. And he says, one bull each, one pile of wood each, and prayer. And that's it. And whichever God lights this thing on fire, he's the real God. Let's get after it and see what's going to happen here. Because this is going to be a simple, simple thing. And so as a note about God and fire, I think it's important. All throughout the Bible... Almighty God is associated with fire. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, our God is called a consuming fire. If you've been out around a big bonfire, or or just the other day I was talking with a friend about a a fire set and just the fear of a big fire. Like once one of them gets really going, like it can get out of control. And this is the way that God is presented to us in Scripture, a consuming fire. In the Old Testament, he led the people of Israel out of Egypt through the desert manifesting himself as what? As a pillar of fire. When they got to Mount Sinai and the Lord God gave the Ten Commandments and revealed himself to the people there, how was it? It was as a consuming fire burning the top of the mountain. When we come to the New Testament and the Lord sends his Holy Spirit to the people on Pentecost, what is present? It is a flame of fire above the heads of the people. It is always that the presence of the Lord is somehow manifest or made known through fire it is something that is powerful to us it is something that is mysterious it is something that is fearful but it's something that's needful it has so many interesting analogies to it as to why the lord god would so often present himself in this way but elijah knows that it is no small thing no easy no no big thing for the lord to send fire on this altar but verse 24b says that the people like this this is good. Like this is we're going to we're going to really figure out what's going to happen here through this. So they say it's good. They affirm it. And so Ahab is stuck. He can't get in there and like, yeah, we're not going to do this. We're going to do something different. Now the people like it. They bought into it. So it's getting ready to happen. And so Elijah gives the coin toss to the prophets of Baal. He says, "All right, you guys, you guys go first. There's many of you. I'll let you do your thing first because he knows no fire is coming from anywhere." For this idol that has eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear and hands that cannot act. And so he's going to let the people see the foolishness and the emptiness of this as long as it can go on. And it's going to help to prove his point. And so they begin their ravings. 450 people is a little bit more than what's out here today. And all of y'all going bonkers and trying to Make as much noise as you can. That is a ruckus. I mean, that is a serious ruckus of people. And they're going on, it says, until noon. 
So three hours at least of this craziness. And so after lunch, Elijah starts to mock them. And this is great. This is just great. So, you know, he's sitting there by himself, leaning on the fence or whatever is out there. And, hey, guys, louder. Like, get, get louder. He can't hear you. I don't think he can hear you. And they're as loud as they can be. They're, they're hoarse at this point. You, you scream for three hours, you're, you're done. Maybe he's busy. That's it. Maybe he's busy. Yeah, that, because, you know, he's got a lot of stuff to do. So he could be doing something else. Or, or maybe he's in the bathroom. You know, this is just degrading. This is like, oh, the God is really no God. He's just like you. Man, you have to go. Maybe he's in the bathroom. And yeah, it's just insulting. Or maybe he's asleep. Because if he's asleep, what does that mean? He's tired. Like he wears out just like you and I do. And he's it, what, louder. Maybe you'll wake him up because he's a sound sleeper. Or he's traveling. Maybe he's gone somewhere on a trip and he's just not around right now and he can't take your call. But maybe he'll call you back later. So be louder. And this is just insulting. And so they get it. We'll get to something else in a moment, but I, we've got to contrast the Lord God here. I mean, what, is, what is the Lord God in all this? Does the Lord God, do we have to scream for the Lord to hear our prayers? Does Elijah scream? No. The Lord hears and knows all things. He is never busy. He is all-powerful and sovereign in his actions. And he is never too busy. Just like the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was never in a hurry, but he accomplished all of God's will. He is not a human. He is not a superhuman that he would need to go to the bathroom. God Almighty is God. He is holy, which means that he is other from us. He is the creator. We are the creation. He is not a greater version of ourselves. We instead share some of his characteristics, which he has given to us, but he is other than us. And when he acts on the world, it is by his supernatural power. But in his sovereignty and in his great strength, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He sees in the dark as we see in the day. He is never traveling for he is omnipresent. He is present with us here now as he is present with congregations all over this world on this Sunday morning. And Elijah knows this. But this absolutely sends the prophets of Baal off the deep end. And so they ramp up their ravings. And what do they do? They begin to cut themselves with swords and lances. As it says was their custom. And blood is gushing out of them. And I have to stop here to, to point out something. And it's, it's very important. It's something that is, I want you to listen up. Because I don't know, I know that there are people in this in this hearing of my voice today that deal with this and if you're not dealing with it directly you know people who are and if you don't know who people people that are it's because you just don't know and you may need to ask closer questions but we need to understand what is happening here in the old testament and in the new testament idol worship is the worship of demons it is not just the worship of a figure there is in most cases some spiritual presence or some power of some sort related to these things it's why people worship them but in the psalms the psalmist is very clear as he recounts the the history of israel and their ungodliness to specifically connect idol worship to the power and spiritual nature of demons. In Psalm 106, 34 through 39, 
Psalm 106, 34 through 39, the psalmist writes this. They did not destroy the peoples as the, as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did, and they served their idols, which became a snare to them. And they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. And they poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood, and they became unclean in their acts and played the whore in their deeds. And so this and other places refer specifically to the demonic nature of idol worship. And so what I want to connect here is that these people are ranting and raving over an idol which in some way is connected to demonic and evil things these are not just cultural this is not a cultural dance that is happening here this is something that is evil that is happening at this time and elijah is opposing this evil that is happening and so what i want us to see is that self-harm is never an influence of the lord this ranting and this raving and this self-cutting and this self-harm is something that comes from evil. It is something that comes from evil influences. It is never of the Lord. Never does the worship of the Lord have anything to do with this. And I believe very much that self-harm in every age somehow is related to spiritual evil. And I want you to be very, very clear in your mind. If this is something that is comes upon you as a temptation or something that you know is a temptation to others that are around you, you need to understand that there's more going on here than just a psychological struggle. There is something evil, a pre an influence that is coming upon you. And how is it that we counter or combat evil things in our lives? We combat them by seeking after the Lord God. We pray and we ask for the deliverance of Jesus Christ from evil things. When evil comes upon us in such a way where we feel that we are going to be overwhelmed by it, we call out to the Lord that we might be delivered by our Savior from evil things in our lives. And so it is that I want you to understand that this struggle is not just a psychological struggle. It's not something that can be taken away just by medication. When there is great struggle of evil in your heart, it is a spiritual struggle that must be taken to the Lord for a spiritual remedy and spiritual deliverance from these things. And so what we have here before us is a radical example of people that have fully given themselves to evil and in fully given themselves to evil are being radically influenced by that and are partially killing themselves in an attempt to please or appease this demonic evil spirit and yet at the end of this time there is no answer and there is no response they go on and they go on and they go on but there is no answer and i tell you that in your life if you believe that these types of things is going to elicit a response, there will be no answer. Why is there no answer? Because our enemy against us would have us to destroy ourselves. It is an influence that is of the devil. He has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. If you think our enemy has any good in mind for us, you are deceived and you are wrong. And so what we do is we call out to God for these things that we might be delivered from them and we will be delivered from them. And so Elijah at some point, and the point is at the time of the evening sacrifice in verse 30, he's had enough. Like we've been going all day long. 
It has been demonstrated very clearly that there is no power here and there is no fire coming. There's nothing coming. There's no voice. There's no answer. And so at the time that is the traditional time to offer an evening sacrifice, he is going to offer his prayer to the Lord. And so in a completely opposite way, he calls the people in a calm voice to come near to him. The rantings are over. The ravings are over. Come near and listen to me. And he speaks to them of the Lord. And he repairs the altar that was thrown, to, excuse me, that was thrown down. And I think it's important to see that. That on this mountain, at some point, someone had worshipped the Lord. But it had long since been forgotten. And it was overgrown by weeds. And he builds it up. He repairs what was broken down. I say this to us often as a church. We are not seeking a new thing in this church. We are seeking the living God who has always lived. We are seeking to hold on to who he is, that we might lift him up and not lose sight of him in our time. And so much of what we do in this church is not a new thing. It is bringing back old things that like this altar had fallen down into disrepair and been forgotten, and we are trying to bring them back again. And so in this ancient way, he restores the altar that speaks to the 12 tribes of Israel. He digs a trench around it because he's got a plan. And he's going to make it harder if possible. And he asks him to soak this thing. So there's no trickery. I soak it again. Soak it again until it's just sopping wet and there's water all around it in the bottom. There's no trickery here. I can't light this on fire. You can't light this on fire. The only person that can light this thing on fire is Almighty God himself. And so in verse 36, he offers a simple prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, that this people may know that you are the Lord and that their hearts might be turned back to you. And so, I don't think that's a coincidence, do you? All right. So, verse 36, he prays and asks in a simple way for God to pour out fire on this offering so that these people might know that the Lord is God. And the Bible says that immediately the Lord responded to this. Immediately fire fell from heaven and consumed the bull, the wood, the rocks, the water, the dust. It just left a crater in the ground that the Lord might show unequivocally that he is God. And the response of the people is the same response that always happens. When God shows himself mightily like this, there was great fear in the hearts of the people. And they go from standing, they go from double-minded spectators of an event that was fascinating and interesting, and they're wondering what's going to happen, to on their faces before God. Because he is the Lord. He is real. And so the people's hearts are turned back to the Lord. And so Elijah goes and he seizes the false prophets and he kills them. And this may be shocking to you. I don't know if you've ever read this passage before. If you've ever read much in the Old Testament, you might say, what is happening here? How could Elijah go do these things? Well, from the Eden, from the Garden of Eden and the fall of humanity there until the time of Christ and on, it is very clear that the wages of sin is death. Our sins will always lead to our death. The persistence in unbelief 
the persistence in rebellion, the welcoming and the celebrating of evil and the leading of other people into evil and the constant rejection of God's mercy will not end in a neutral place. It will end in death. And so just like Elijah was calling out to the people that day, put your faith and hope in Christ. Today I am calling to you, put your faith and hope in Christ Jesus that you might be spared death. But the Lord God is just. He is just, but he is also merciful. John three sixteen, which I quote to you so often, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But those that reject the Son, they will perish, and they will not have eternal life. And so let us not be, let us not forget these things or push these things aside. And so Elijah does what should have been done a long time ago in putting out these false prophets. And so I want to close in this way, because this passage is all about decision. It's about calling people to decision. It's about a whole mountain event set up to call people, to call a nation to decision. But this is not a new thing. And so I'd ask for you to turn with me to the last chapter of Joshua. If you don't know where it is, go take a look in your, uh, in your index in the front, but it's very near the front. I think it's the fifth book of the Bible, last chapter. And this is a character named Joshua. Joshua was Moses' faithful sidekick, and he was with Moses through all of the, the leading of the people. And he was appointed of God to lead the people into the promised land when Moses was not given that task by God. But at the end of the book of Joshua, when they had come into the land and possessed the land and been blessed of the Lord and seen so many actions of the Lord, this is what jo Joshua commends the people with. After he has gathered them together, and reminded them of all that God has done for them, similar to what is happening with Elijah on Mount Carmel. He says these things in Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served before the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. This is a powerful statement. It's a choice. He says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. And I press you in this today. There are some of you that have served God for a long time. You've loved the Lord for many, many years. And I pray that today you will redouble you're seeking after the Lord, that you will not waver in your faithfulness to the Lord. But there are a great many of you here that are described by this double-mindedness. You are just not sure what's going on or what direction to go. Or perhaps you are intent in your unbelief in going in a different direction. I call for you today to choose who you will serve because you have made a choice of unbelief before God. I am calling for you to believe in the Lord Jesus that you might be saved, that you might come out from this world, come out from this time so characterized by endless hedonistic entertainment, by sexual perversion and violence and the radical killing of the unborn and 
unlimited government seeking to fill the place of God. Come away from these things into the place of believing in the creator God of the Bible. We'll let this go by here. Believe in Jesus as Savior, who is glorified, risen from the dead, merciful, all-wise, and who will one day return to judge the living and for the dead. And so I tell you this morning, as Joshua told him, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We've made that choice, and we're not turning back. The elders of this church have chosen to serve the Lord with their houses, and they're not turning back. And we're striving to be before you as leaders. We're sinners. We're not perfect people. We're redeemed by Jesus Christ, but we're seeking to live after the Lord. I would ask you, fathers, choose in your household to follow after the Lord, to serve him with a full and a pure heart. Young people, where are you? Are you on the fence? Are you double-minded, unsure of what it is that you should believe? Choose this day to serve the Lord. Perhaps you are in middle age and you are just crushed by the difficult struggles of life and you're not sure what's going on. I press you today to decide to seek after the Lord, to have a full and clear mind in seeking after Christ. Seek him today. Stop your double-mindedness and believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you today. We know that you live and that you are resurrected from the dead and that you hear our prayers this morning. Lord, we believe that you can and you will and you do act through all things. Through any amount of distraction and struggle, your Holy Spirit can break into the heart of a person. And I pray, God, today that you would draw by the working of your Spirit those people that need to put their faith and trust in you this morning, those that have been double-minded and they know it, they know that they have not been devout or true or sincere in their belief. I pray, God, that today you would bring them to yourself and that today would be a day of salvation for them. Lord, we declare our love for you, and we pray, God, that you would help us, that we might live for you in our time. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.